live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. That, that's not what the Mavericks brass had in mind when they made that deal for Kyrie Irving. Then again, I'm not really sure what they had in mind when they made that deal for Kyrie Irving. Or who in their right mind would watch the last few years of Kyrie's act and think, hell yes, that's hell what we need. Yeah. Sign that guy up. Let's go ahead and pair that dude with our young franchise superstar. But that's exactly what the Mavs did. And I'm pretty sure that they didn't do all that just so they could blow 27-point leads on national television to a team desperate and scrapping for a playing spot, to a team of lasers that shot 6 of 34 from beyond the arc and still managed the biggest comeback of the NBA season so far. I mean, imagine that for a minute. 6 of 34 from beyond the arc, and they still overcame a 27-point deficit. 34. But then again, like I said, I'm not sure what Dallas was thinking when they added that part-time player and full-time franchise killer, Kyrie. And they got that part-time player and that full-time franchise killer by trading away their depth and dudes who actually do get back and play defense. But here are the predictable results. They're now 1-4 with Kyrie and Luka on the court together. And yesterday showed that things are not exactly trending in the right direction for these two. Now, notice I'm not going to blame the entire collapse on Kyrie or Luka or that stupid song. My name is Luka. I live on the second floor. Right. Luca lives on the second floor. And that song is still stupid, and the Lakers still have no lasers. Anyway, it's not just about Kyrie or Luca or what floor they all live on. It took a full team effort to be the first team. Follow this. This is incredible. It took a full team effort. It took the entire second floor to blow a 27-point lead in the association this season. That had not been done. Entering yesterday's game, teams were 0 and 138 when trailing by 27. 0 and 138. And yet somehow Dallas gagged that lead to the Brick Show on a night when the Brick Show shot 17% from beyond the arc. You need more stats to explain just how horrible that is. According to ESPN, the Mavs' win probability when they had that 27-point lead was 99.1%. So while it's true that Kyrie played like us and Luka made some critical mistakes, they did not collapse all by themselves. There is a lot of blame to go around. Plenty of blame to go around. Just do not direct any of it at Jason Kidd. Because after the game, the Mavs head coach was asked if maybe he wanted to call a timeout or two to possibly slow down those Laker runs. Yeah, I'm not the savior here. I'm not playing. I'm watching just like you guys. And as us, as a team, we got to mature. And, uh, you know, we got a lot of new bodies coming back. And we, gotta, we have to grow up if we want to win a championship. 
There's no young team that's ever won a championship uh, mentally or physically. And so um, just to see how we could respond, um, again, two and a half quarters, we're playing at a high level on both ends, uh, offensively and defensively. But what the Lakers just showed us is that it's not, it's not a race. It's not the rabbit who wins. It's the turtle. And, and they, they work the game. And, and that's where we have to get to. We have to get better at working the game, and uh, we will. You know me. I go way back with Jason Kidd. I don't know if this is about the turtle or the rabbit or maturity or youth or playing both ends. I think that's essentially about them choking. That's what I think. Like, the puck's got to stop somewhere, right? When you blow a 27-point lead in the NBA, it's just not going to stop here with me, the coach. Plenty of blame to go around here, just not with me. Personally, I'm not saying that Jason Kidd is absolved of all blame, of course. Some of this is absolutely going to stick to him. But to his point, he's not out there running the point. He's not out there finding the open man. He's not out there sticking long-range jumpers or getting back on defense. Yeah, I'm not the savior here. I'm not playing. He's not the guy doing those things. However, neither were any of the dudes that he had on the floor after they built that 27-point lead. And no, I'm not going to put it all on the part-time player, full-time conspiracy theorist, but why do things always seem to get worse when Kyrie comes around? I mean, the Mavs are worse. They're 1-4 with he and Doncic on the floor together. And does that surprise anybody at all? The only surprise to me is that Kyrie hasn't already asked for a trade out of Dallas. Only shock is that he hasn't forced his way out of Dallas already. Then again, as always, with Kyrie, it's not a question of if, but a matter of when. I just expected it after they pulled off that historic choke last night. So if you want to come in here and say, hey, Rome, how about the Lakers? Don't they get any credit for this? No. Yeah, I'll give him a little credit. Not dead, can't quit. Not dead, can't quit. I'm not saying that that come-from-behind win over the choking Mavs saved their season, but maybe if they actually make it all the way to the playing game, they might look back on that night when the Mavs choked and the GM refused to come out of the game with a jacked-up foot where he said he heard a pop. When he tweaked his foot and heard a pop, he was heard telling this to the bench. Ah! Darvin Ham said he did not hear that. LeBron turned to the bench after popping his foot and told his teammates this. Ah! Actually, what he said was, I heard a pop. And Darvin Ham said, I didn't hear him say that. I guess not because he went back in. <laughs> he played. Credit to him. Because I'm telling you, when it happened, I heard him say this. Hey, the guy showed some grit. I mean, seriously, LaFib showed grit. They're out there against Dallas. They're down by 27. Not in the moment. The guy, quote, heard a pop. That's pretty scary. He heard a pop, and then we all heard this. Yeah, it would not come out of the game. Let's be real for a second, though. As much as I was impressed by that, because that sounded painful, did it not, Alvin? Let's not for a second not give credit where credit's due. Credit, credit. to street clothes. 
Street clothes. After the street clothes, Davis. They don't make that comeback without the street clothes legend himself because he went all bubble ball with it last night. AD brought that bubble level mentality, that bubble level game that we have not seen in years. He even iced that game with an absolutely sick, cold-blooded, spinning baseline fadeaway winner. And how about that follow jam he had too? So forget winning anything real. If the Brick Show wants to even make the play-in, that's the kind of level that they're going to need from street clothes. They need this guy out of his street clothes, in his uniform, and producing like that the rest of the way. AD, what's good, baby? He looked good last night, didn't he? Especially, I mean, he must have heard the pop. He must have known, I got to step up. I just heard a pop. And then the subsequent scream. The pop, then the scream. The scream does not come before the pop. Come on, Alva, you got this inverted. There you go. That's how that plays. After the street closed, Davis. Credit. Meanwhile, the Mavs stock is going the exact opposite direction. After the Kyrie trade, everybody was hyping the crap out of these guys, which was ignoring the fact that they just traded for a serial franchise killer who can walk to free agency in a couple of months. And everybody was losing their mind because of the talent, all the talent. Put all that talent together. They finally got a second star to go with their first star. Yeah, but it's got to fit, and it's going to take some time. It always does, especially with this guy. So what do they have to show for it now? Four losses in five games and the single biggest gag job in the NBA this season. Again, when teams trailed by 27 or more, they were 0-138. and 138. It's an incredible stat. Yet the Mavericks came from ahead to choke. So all, all that, quote, talent got them this weekend was the worst and most painful loss in a weekend of brutal NBA endings. Seriously, the association was on one this weekend. I mean, how about the Clippers scoring 175 and still losing on Friday? Head and I didn't lose, though. We bet that game. I believe we won that game. How do you score 175 and lose? What's more impressive? Owen 138 or scoring 175 and losing? And that's still not even as bad, I don't think, as, well, Owen 138. Meanwhile, you got Joel Embiid. Joel hits an all time buzzer beater on Saturday, except come to find out it didn't beat the buzzer. So instead of having an all-time buzzer beater, we had an all-time game-ending letdown. But again, still not as brutal as what the Mavs did to their home fans yesterday. Again, I'm not sure how the Mavs thought that was all going to go, but it's going about as well as you might have expected or should have expected, which is terribly, terribly, a 27-point lead. All right, and by the way, not to the Celtics, right? to a team that is desperate to make the play-in. Not to the Celtics, not to the Nuggets, the Lake Show. Oh, yeah. You know I love that sound. That is my favorite sound ever. That is the best kind of sound because that is the best kind of notification because what that sound is is another sale on Shopify. The moment another business dream becomes a reality. 
I love it. Shopify, the commerce platform, which is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Here's how this works. Shopify simplifies selling online and in person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. And it covers every sales channel from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform. It even lets you sell across social media marketplaces like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And it's packed with industry-leading tools ready to ignite your growth. Here's what I'm trying to say. Shopify gives you complete control over your business and your brand without having to learn any new skills in design or code. And thanks to 24-7 Help, an extensive business course library, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. And what's incredible to me is Shopify is how, no matter how big you want to grow, they're there to empower you with the confidence and control to revolutionize your business and take it to the next level. Now it's your turn to get serious about selling and trying Shopify right now. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period of shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase R-O-M-E. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. Take your business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash R-O-M-E Rome. Sam Monson joins me via Zoom. Sam, it's great to have you on. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. Good to have you, Sam. Thanks so much. Listen, a lot to talk about regarding the Combine, but I want to start actually with some free agency. Before we get to the Combine, you've got Aaron Rodgers, right? He comes out of his darkness retreat. We still do not know what he's going to do. Let me ask you this. How did Pro Football Focus evaluate his play this season? How did he grade out, for instance, compared to the other starting quarterbacks in his own division? I thought for a horrible moment you were going to ask me to grade his darkness retreat. I was going to say, look, that's I, I might follow with that, dude. A lot for the NFL right now. <laughs> <laughs> I might it, follow. It hasn't gotten to that level yet. Okay. So um, Aaron Rodgers, like he didn't have the best season this year, but it was kind of in line with what we expected. The last time he had a wide receiver group that was this bereft of a number one offense or a number one option, rather was 2015 when Jordy Nelson got hurt on the kind of the eve of the season. They didn't have time to find a replacement, didn't have the way of doing it. So he had to make do. And he ended up with this PFF grade about 75, something like that. And he'd been above 90, which is that blue chip elite MVP kind of range in either side of that single season. So that's pretty much exactly what happened here. We went back to back years of MVP caliber Rogers, 90 plus PFF grades. And then boom, straight down into that 75 range, which puts him, you know, middle of the pack in NFL terms because he didn't have truly elite wide receiver help. So it's interesting, Sam. I wonder, like, if you were to find the right situation, be it there or someplace else, can you see that number bumping back up or how much about that is slippage or diminishment in play? I think you can absolutely see that bouncing back. I mean, one of the things for Rodgers when you look at the tape is there's no sign of physical decline. We're not seeing a guy whose arm is on the decline, whose athleticism is waning. He really just didn't have receivers that he trusted to, to throw the ball to. And even though guys like Christian Watson um, showed up later in the season, made a bunch of big spectacular plays, there's still a long way from impressive rookie who can definitely scare defenses to a guy that has Aaron Rodgers trust and somebody that he will put the ball towards knowing that he's going to make a play for him. So I think if he finds the right situation, you can absolutely get MVP caliber Rodgers right back there.
Sam Monson is the lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus. All right, so where does PFF have Derek Carr on its free agent rankings, and what do you think would be the best fit for him? He's at the sharp end. I think he's the best free agent available quarterback. You have to assume that Lamar Jackson probably won't be available as a traditional free agent. He's either going back to Baltimore or he's a tag and trade kind of guy. I think the same is probably true for Geno Smith, that he's either going to stay with the Seahawks long term or on a franchise tag. Carr is the one guy that's really out in the open market. I think he's comfortably the best quarterback available, even though he's coming off what was not a good year for him. Um, The one quarterback who received an alpha elite number one wide receiver in Devontae Adams and didn't take the step forward that we expected them to. You know, Tua had an incredible year with with Tyreek Hill being added to the mix. Everybody else that got one of those guys had a huge season. Derek Carr didn't, but he's shown, I think, in his NFL career so far that he can be that kind of borderline top 10, top 12 type of quarterback, which... You know, some teams like the Raiders are jettisoning. That's no good for us. we got to go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes twice a season in this division. But for teams that haven't had any kind of quarterback play, that's more than good enough. Sam Monson joining us. So, Sam, if you believe that the Jets are, in fact, a quarterback away, I mean, obviously Aaron Rodgers would be a great intrigue. But the way you grade out Derek Carr, would he be considered, in your mind, the quarterback away that the Jets need to be legitimate contenders? Yeah, I think the Jets are a perfect example of the type of team for whom Derek Carr would be a huge upgrade. I I suspect you're right that they would love Aaron Rodgers. They would love the true guy that can take them somewhere completely different and transcend and really compete with the best quarterbacks in the NFL. But if they can't get him, Derek Carr, and without the trade, so cheaper in some ways, immediately upgrades everything they had last season, whether it was Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, even Mike White. Derek Carr has shown time and time again, he is at a different level there. He would be the catalyst that would help Garrett Wilson have a true breakout season with some real quarterback play behind him. The offensive line should be much better this year than it was a season ago when it was banged up and and injured across the board. I think Derek Carr would immediately put the New York Jets in the playoffs and make them a real live contender in that division. Sam Monson, lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus, breaking it down for us. All right, Sam, so obviously the combine does get underway in Indy. Lots of intrigue surrounding the Bears and what they'll do with that top pick overall. What do you think they should do with it? I mean, I think they should field all calls, first and foremost. Let the market dictate what you're going to do. I don't think there should be anything that's off the table right now. This team is too bad and too far away. But personally, I think Justin Fields showed enough last season with zero help around him to earn the same look with some real receivers and a real offensive line and an offense that can actually, you know, support him and a defense that can do some work as well. I think they're in a prime position to trade out of that number one overall spot, maybe to number two, maybe to number four, still end up with one of those blue chip defensive players and maybe pick up a first round pick next year to hedge against Justin Fields, not taking the step forward that you think he can, but still be in a far better position than you would be if you traded him away and then selected a rookie number one overall. I agree with you. So, Sam, come to find out that Bryce Young is not going to throw at the combine. Is there any surprise at all there? And will teams care that he's not going to throw? No, I mean, Bryce Young was never going to throw at the combine. His entire life right now is about trying to weigh as much as humanly possible (laughs) so that he can put a 190 or a 200 in front of NFL teams. And even if they know it's a little bit fake, it'll stop some of the noise And that just isn't conducive to working out. He was never going to work out. He was never going to throw. 
his entire world right now is about trying to show teams that he's not unprecedented small, that he's not, you know, 5'10", 175 pounds. So I don't think he was ever likely to throw. And I don't think it matters. Like he's shown more than enough on tape for teams to be comfortable with that part of his game. The thing they need to be comfortable with is his size. Talking to Sam Monson. So, Sam, what we, we know this about Bryce, and then we know what we know about C.J. Stroud, but as you look deeper and you look at Will Levis and you look at Anthony Richardson, there doesn't seem to be a consensus on either one of them, although Richardson seems like he's rising. How do you evaluate each of them? What do you think? Yeah, they're both uh, intriguing players. They obviously bring the tools to the table, big arm, big body, um, physical ability, I think Will Levis showed a lot, not this past season, but the year before that, when he had a true NFL um, play caller, when he had a true NFL offense, and actually a bit of help around him. That's the year that I would hang my hat on if I was a, a Will Levis supporter in one of these team war rooms and really pounding the table to draft that guy high. He showed some high-level play a season ago against some good defenses as well. Richardson is just much more chaotic. You can see... He isn't just an athlete. He wants to be a pocket passer. He has good processing. You can see him trying to do it, but when he doesn't, when it breaks down, it's just erratic and it's scattershot and it's kind of chaotic, but the athleticism is off the charts. So I think there are absolutely teams that are going to fall in love with Anthony Richardson, given the history recently of quarterbacks with elite tools and elite athleticism really turning into something special. You know, Jalen Hurts last year, I think, is a great example of just how good a guy like that can be once you start to put everything around him. Um, and I absolutely think he's in a live concern to be the number one overall pick. Wow. Wow. I mean, I mean, there is buzz. There is definitely energy to it. Speaking of Jalen, Sam, how did you have him graded coming out of college? And did you see him getting to where he is as quickly as he has? He graded extremely well. This is a case where I actually went against the PFF grades and, and looked like an idiot because of it. Our, our grading was always really kind to Jalen Hurts, particularly once he got to that system at Oklahoma. Um, but when you looked at his tape, I was always a little bit concerned by how long the process took, by you know how, how sort of much of an issue it seemed to be, how lab laborious it was for him to go through his entire reads and get to the end of the play. But obviously, this was a case where once he got the support system around him, the offensive line, the receiving core, he was able to put it all together to, to operate at a faster pace and really play absolutely lights out this year. We are talking to Sam Monson. He is the lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus for another moment or so. Sam, before you go, let me ask you about another position. Last year, for instance, we had to wait until day two before the first running back came off the board. In Brees Hall, he went 36th overall to the Jets. Will Bijan Robinson of Texas change that this year? Can you see him going in the first round? Oh, I think he'll absolutely go in the first round. I think the question becomes how high can you draft Bijan Robinson and for it to still make sense for an NFL team? You know, analytics obviously has been pushing this kind of don't draft running backs high, don't pay them big money on the open market kind of thing. But the rookie contracts mean that you still get pretty good value for a running back really quite high in the draft. You can probably get to the fringes of the top 10. And if he's as good as he looks like he is, and I think we're genuinely talking about a generational running back, maybe the best running back PFF has seen enter the draft since we've been great in college, which starts in 2014. I think that guy's worth absolutely a first round pick. I think you can probably get him middle of the first round. And it's still a steal. And you might be able to push that as high as the fringes of the top 10. And it'd still be a good deal, depending on who's left when you're picking.
Really interesting. One last thought. Speaking of the Jets, they took that big swing when they took wide receiver Garrett Wilson with the 10th overall pick. Paid off. He won the Offensive Rookie of the Year award. How deep is talent at wide receiver this year? Yeah, I think it's a good class. It's not a great one. And you're going to hear a lot that there's no Jamar Chase in this draft class. It's sort of lacking that true superstar, can't miss type of prospect. But there's a lot of strength. Guy like Jordan Addison from USC reminds me a lot of Garrett Wilson in exactly those terms. Maybe he's not a complete superstar at everything, but he's really good at everything you need to be a good NFL wide receiver. So I think there's still, again, for the years on the trot now, this is a good wide receiver class, and you could definitely add some talent if that's an area of need on your roster. Lots of really intriguing stuff. He is the lead NFL analyst for Pro Football Focus. Also remember, a co-host of the PFF NFL podcast and the PFF NFL Daily podcast, Sam Monson joining us. Sam, really appreciate that. Great job. Would love to do it again, and thanks for making time for us. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? All right, so why don't we talk about Alabama for a minute? Again, tone deaf, to me, does not begin to describe how out of touch and how out of line Brandon Miller and Alabama basketball are right now. Miller continuing, that's not respectful, Alvy. Miller continuing to go with his so-called pat-down intro, despite a young mother being shot and killed with a weapon he himself brought to the scene of the shooting really is one of the most insulting, callous, and frankly dumbest things I've ever seen. And it really happened. Is this guy that dumb? Really? Is everybody around him really that dumb? There's one person dead. Countless others could have been. And not only is Alabama continuing to play this guy, but prior to their game against Arkansas, he actually had a teammate pat him down during his introduction, something he's been doing throughout the entire season. But even after one person was shot and killed and Miller was at the scene when it happened, not charged with anything, but he was there. Somebody was shot and killed in cold blood with a weapon that he brought to the scene, and yet he thought doing the pat-down introduction was still a good idea. Listen, I don't care that he has not been charged with anything. This guy may not be guilty of a crime in Alabama, but make no mistake, he is guilty. He is guilty. Guilty of some of the worst judgment ever. Guilty of extreme stupidity. Bringing a gun to a scene where you had to know there had been drinking and some sort of beef or confrontation is reckless and stupid enough. But acting like it never even happened, and then unfathomably continuing with your pat-down intro, not long thereafter, as a family grieves the loss of a daughter 
is mind-blowing in its stupidity and callousness. And that is on him. He's 20. He's 20, presumably with a brain. How can that guy not know how horrible that looks? How can that guy not know how horrible that actually is? And knowing that this guy's done it all year long, and that he's not the sharpest tool in the shed to begin with, how does nobody on that coaching staff or athletic department or anybody close to him knowing that he's done it all year long and is probably going to do it again, say, pull him aside and say, hey, dude, you know that stupid pat-down thing that you've been doing during the entire season? Given that somebody is dead and you delivered the weapon to the scene that killed her, you're going to want to stop doing that. But apparently nobody did because they must be as dumb as he is or even worse, even worse. They're not that dumb, and they just don't give a damn. Hey, Bama, basketball, pull your head out of your ass. A 23-year-old woman was shot and killed in cold blood. Wake the hell up. Because continuing to play this guy and seeing him continue to do his pat-down intros shows that you really don't give a damn about anything other than winning games, getting a one seed, and trying to take down a natty. And then thinking somehow you're validated. Because you sure as hell aren't acting like you care about a human life. Nobody there looks or acts like they're sorry it even happened. You know, like, Miller wasn't charged with anything, so therefore there's nothing to see here. Let's keep moving. Again, he's not guilty of any crime in Alabama. He hasn't been charged with anything. I get that. But he's still guilty, guilty of extreme stupidity and recklessness and callousness. And so is everybody around him because none of them seem to give a damn at all. Check out Nate Oates, who has handled all of this all wrong since it went down. This is how he began his presser about the pat down. Before I get started on the game, it was brought to my attention after the game about our pregame introductions. I think that's something that's been going on all year. I don't really know. I'm not. I don't watch our introductions. I'm not involved with them. I'm trying to place during that time. Regardless, it's not appropriate. It's been addressed, and I can assure you it definitely will not happen again the remainder of this year. Hey, again, not on me. I didn't know. I don't pay attention during the intros. I'm trying to plays. I'm too busy. Quote, I can definitely assure you that that will not happen again the remainder of the year. In other words, in other words, in other words, you would have done something if you were there, but you're in the wrong spot at the wrong time, ain't it? Spot at the wrong time, so. Him going with the I wasn't there or I was and I didn't see it. Yeah, you forgot to mention one thing, Nate. They are college kids and you can't control what they do outside of the actual game. And in this case, right before it. But thanks for letting us know that it will not happen again. I mean, are you going to save that pat down for a big three in the second half? During the start of the next game, does Brandon go with the handcuffs, then getting put into the back of a squad car intro? Hey, you said I couldn't do the pat down. Do they break out a chalk outline on the floor where the body might lie? Do they do that? 
do they, if they can't do the pat down, are they still allowed to string some yellow police tape around the other starters after they've been introduced? Can we do that? And if the walk-on can't continue to pat down the lottery pick, can the walk-on read Miller his Miranda rights after he's been introduced? Or if that's too much, can another teammate roll out onto the floor in a black robe and slam a gavel? Guilty. Or, or in fact, can he pick having a jury over the judge to determine his fate and the rest of his teammates can come out as a jury of his peers and select a foreman who reads the verdict. Is that okay? Or does a teammate go crime scene investigator looking to extract DNA from the basketball while another studies it in the lab to see if there's a perfect match? I mean, way to go, Bama. Way to take one of the worst situations and handle it worse than anybody's ever handled almost anything. I can't wait to see what they do next to show how little they really care about any of it. The pat down in the introduction days after somebody was shot and killed. It's been addressed and I can assure you it definitely will not happen again the remainder of this year. Well, that's that feels good, coach. How was it not addressed before? Never mind the whole actual thing. How reckless the whole actual thing was. Saw also a report where the shooter told authorities reportedly he was so drunk on tequila he didn't remember any of it. And yet they're doing the pat down before the intro. Nobody there thought that was not a good idea. Nobody there thought the, not only the optics were horrific, but what the family of the deceased victim might have thought. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. Randy Bennett is my guest. Randy, always good to have you on. Nice to have you back. How are you? What's up, Romy? How you doing? Good, good, Randy. How you doing? How are things? Uh, things are great. I can't believe it's been this many years. I remember when I was in SoCal, you just getting started. I'm telling you, Randy, it's, it's so it is so weird. I'm having that conversation with more and more people the longer I've done this. It is so true. Time does fly. I mean, you've been there 22 years. Does it feel like that to you? What does it feel like? You know, when you're in it, you just, it doesn't feel like that it's been that long. But then you look back and you see all the, the teams and the players and the memories. And even just like I remember the first time I was on your show, it was my fourth year there, we made the tournament. Just little things like that. And you're like, wow, that was a while ago. But it's gone so fast, it doesn't seem like 
it's been that long. No, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. It's like, I don't want to get too esoteric and too weird and too deep about it. But when you're in it, you're so locked in. And then you look up and, you know, part of me wants to say it's kind of depressing when you look up and you can't account for 10 years. But part of me wants to say if you're so in love with what you're doing and you put your head down, then that could happen. But I don't want to get too far off there. Let me ask you, you... No, exactly. You, you, you go, I, I agree exactly. It's exactly that. It's like, if you love what you're doing, you're passionate about it, you, just time flies. You're just immersed in it. So, anyhow. That's it. Randy Bennett joining us. All right, so you know you're going to get Gonzaga's best shot, especially since you beat them on February 4th. What did you take away from this game? They got you this time. Were there some benefits, although you fell short in Spokane? What did you make of the way your guys showed up? Well, the first thing, the first takeaway is how lucky we are in our where we're at to have a rivalry like that. I mean, it's it's an unbelievable. Probably the, as good as there is in the country as far as an atmosphere. I mean, you are in there. I think that crowd was their biggest crowd they've ever had. They've they've sold that thing out for like twenty years, but that's what the atmosphere was like. And like when they came down and played at our place. Our place sees 3,500. There's probably 4,000 in there. It was the same thing there. Just to get to play in those kind of games in college basketball, there's just not that many of them. So it's, that was pretty awesome. It makes you better. I mean, you find it's hard for young kids to play there. We've had some guys that, first, that are starters first two years or when they're young, they don't even score there. And so it is – it makes you tougher. It makes you better. It'll help us down the road. So we're playing in that game, and then we were a little, <laughs> we were a little overwhelmed early and turned it over against press and got down, which you don't want to do against them. But we got it under control. We had two turn, three turnovers second half, and we got back in the game. And I think we got it down to a five point game. But they are good. Timmy was a beast. Uh, we have to do a better job there. Uh, hopefully, we get to play them again in the uh, in the conference tournament, but we have work to do before that. But uh, yeah, my takeaways were we have to do a better job on Timmy, and we have to take care of the ball. He is a monster, Randy Bennett, joining us. You know the the, the point that you make about you know you have a building that has thirty five hundred people, and you had four thousand there when they came to your place. And when you go there to deal with them, that's a really hostile environment, a really difficult place to play. And when you've got young guys who have never been exposed to that, man, of course they're going to struggle. I think Randy, it's kind of like when I was in college at UC Santa Barbara, and we had the Thunderdome. We didn't have like a max capacity place either, but it was always a really tough place for others to come into. But then we play UNLV, and UNLV. UNLV was like the Gonzaga at the time. UNLV was a team that was winning national championships, and it was kind of a similar thing, right? You go to Thomas and Mac, and they've got 15,000 people there, and they're like an NBA team already. I mean, do you see kind of a similar analogous situation into what you're saying? Oh, no question. And, I, you know, I was around when the when uh, UC Santa Barbara was like that. and Well, shoot, that league was the league then. And, uh, and UNLV was just, I mean, they're going undefeated. They were win national championships, and they were the show. But you can't simulate it. Somebody asked me, hey, did right. you turn on, turn on music and stuff at practice to simulate it? I'm like, no, that's not going to get it. It's, they are, you walk out on the court before the game, and I tried prepping our, we have a real good freshman, Aiden Mahaney, I tried prepping him before the game. I'm like, you better be focused when you go out there for warm-ups an hour and a half early. Because they are going to be there, and they are going to start working 
getting in your head, getting you distracted. And uh, it's just you you can't prepare for it. The only way to prepare for it is to have done it. And so as you have gone through it, you're, you get more experienced and more mature about handling it all. But you better be, be able to really – you better be a really good competitor mentally and be able to compartmentalize and, and focus on what you're trying to do, not all the distractions in there. You can't hear anything. So, like, yelling, you know, calling plays, things like that, you can't – it's just different. As a coach, it's different. It's really different as a player. And then they make a little run, and you just constantly have to keep your composure, which we didn't do a great job in the first half. But it's it's what makes you good. Playing in those against those kind of teams in those environments is what makes – it gives you a chance to be really good. Randy Bennett joining us. I love that notion that <laughs> just pump some music in and then therefore you can emulate how hostile the environment is. Yeah, that's not how that works. I'm glad you mentioned Aiden. I was going to ask you, he's your freshman guard who is your leading scorer. I think he's made a really solid case for being the conference freshman of the year. He's a local product who decided to stay in the Bay Area to play. So you knew he was good. Did you know he was this good? And did you see him having this kind of impact in year one? I did see him having this kind of impact, like a I thought he'd be a double-digit guy as a freshman because that's what he can really do well. I, I saw him all the way up, even through COVID, when my my son was on his team all the way up and they played the same high school program. So I was able to watch him throw it. So I've seen him play so many times. I I know how he's wired. I, know that, I knew that he's a good competitor. He's better than just this uh, skinny guard that can shoot. He's way more than that. He's he's, he's He's kind of got the it factor, and I knew that he won state championships. He only won. He only lost one playoff game in his four years of high school, which is, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, but he, uh, I didn't know. I'd be lying if I said that. Hey, I thought he would be this good this early. I thought he'd be good, but he's been. He's been uh, for a freshman. I mean, he's got. He's got to have. I don't know. He's going to be top ten or fifteen freshmen in the country as far as what you know what he's done on a good team. He's been our leading scorer on a twenty-five win team. So he is. Uh, he's done a little better than I thought he would. But it's not like oh, wow, this was shocker. I didn't know this guy was good. Right. Like right. Randy Bennett joining me. So you mentioned a twenty-five win team. You know how it is. Like I'm a West Coast guy, and I've talked to you for so long, so I know what you're about. I know what that program's about. I know what the conference is about. But nationally, when you think about the WCC, it always seems to center on just the one team, Gonzaga. I mean, understandable in the sense that Mark Few has built an absolute monster there. But given what you've accomplished at St. Mary's, given what Santa Clara has done, they've won 23 games this year. Given how much improved LMU is, is the conference getting the credit and respect it deserves beyond Gonzaga? Probably not. It's gotten better, but probably Probably not, but we're always listed seven, eight, or nine as far as conferences in men's basketball because of you know because of the net and how it the number it spits out for our conference. But it's getting better. Um, the the problem with Gonzaga is they still still all the thunder because of how elite they've been in over seven or eight years. I think they've been ranked number one in the country for like 
six of those eight years. They've gone to two Final Fours and gone to national, two national championships. So I get it, but there's some other stuff going on in our league that kind of goes under the radar a bit. I would, you know, I think what we've accomplished has a little bit. And as you said, Santa Clara has uh, Herb's doing a great job. They quietly, they've been really good the last couple of years. So and they'll they get their guys back. They'll be really good again next year. So they uh, they and then Loyola Marymount has had a good year. BYU is a good program. So our leagues, we have to keep pushing. Guys have to keep kicking in resource wise. And if you want to compete in you know to play for a at large bid you you have to kick in resources i think other teams in our league have started doing that i think us byu and gonzaga have been doing it for a little bit longer but if you're gonna if you want to be getting that conversation you're gonna have to i think some other schools have started figuring that out so randy one last thought if you wanted some big time big time resources even more so, and you have a commitment, but even more so, you could have found them. You know, much like I've talked to you for years and years, I've been talking to Mark Fuse since he got that job. And it seemed like, Randy, for like the first 10 years, I'd say like, well, you know, Mark, you know, Mark, if you want to go win a national championship. And at first he was kind of good-natured about it. Then he got sick of the question. And then I stopped asking it because it's, it's very clear he could achieve every single dream without leaving where he is. I could argue the same thing about you, or I could put to you in the form of a question. I mean, you've done a great, great job at St. Mary's, but you could have left. You've been approached. I mean, every time a high-profile job opens up, your name comes up. What is it about that school and that program that has made you want to stay for nearly a quarter of a century? <laughs> it's a great question. One, probably the biggest is I'm happy, and don't mess with happy. So I'm happy here. They've done a lot to make it where I can stay here and have a chance to play at the highest level. So um, Gonzaga's a good gauge what they've done there, and if they can do what they've done, then we can do that as well at St. Mary's. It's just you have to get good players, and, and you have to have you have to have the resources, and you have to have an administration that is a hundred percent on board as far as you know trying to just some decisions don't cost money. Some decisions are just a commitment. We're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna do that. We want our men's basketball program to be as successful as it can. You know, within without going low character or, or cutting corners or anything like that. So as long as those things are in place, I mean, the, the, the other factor is once you're here at a place, it becomes your home. It becomes your place. You have a lot of equity in the program. You have players coming back. You, you watch their kids grow up. I can't put a price tag on that, but it's worth a lot. Like it's, it's just kind of your family, your home. And when you, Jump around if you go you go to a place and you're there five or six years and then you bolt because of the things you said um, or because you don't think you can take it any further there. It's different. Like, that isn't your home. That's a place you coached for five or six years and then moved on. But I think what Mark has and uh, what I've been able to get here is, is different. And I, I do think it's a it's a way to – it's a way to have a really successful program. There's a lot of coaches – that have very successful programs who have done the same. And then there's a lot that have jumped around and, and it's not the same. 
And then there's a lot that have jumped around that have had success, and that's kind of the way they're built, and they like that. But I'm not here to judge anybody. I guess to each their own. I agree. I think, though, what you just said, Randy, that makes the most sense, and you're not the first one to say it, but I love it every time I hear it, don't mess with happy. Don't mess with happy. It's such a great, great point. St. Mary's is having another great year. We're talking about a four-time WCC Coach of the Year. The WCC tourney does get underway next Monday, March 6th in Vegas. And not to get too cheesy about the whole thing, but I know what you're saying when you say, listen, I built this thing and people come back. I've done this thing long enough that you could start the interview and saying, you know what, I can't believe how long we've been doing this. And it always means something to me when somebody I'm talking to says that. It's happening more and more. It always makes me feel good. So, Randy, great to have you on. You know I appreciate the relationship. Good luck in the postseason. And hopefully we'll do it again soon. Likewise. You're a legend, brother. Keep doing what you're doing. You too, Coach. You too. Randy Bennett. Hey, now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? And to me, it's an incredible development in Slam Diego. Where just days after Manny Machado said that he would opt out of his current deal. They've been trying to negotiate a new deal because there is an opt-out in the middle of this deal. He's already in the midst of a big deal. Remember, he got that deal in 2019. But there's an opt-out halfway through, or part of the way through, and apparently negotiations were not going to his liking. So he said, all right, I'm going to opt out at the end of the year. There's a deadline here. And if we don't meet the deadline, I don't want to deal with this all year long. So I'm just going to opt out and test the market. And I discussed it with Padres manager Bob Melvin on the show this week. And he, he respected it. Bob Melvin said, I understand that. That's fine. I get it. But now comes word after Manny Machado said, you know, you could say he was negotiating or maybe he meant it. I don't know. But now comes word that the team, according to Jeff Passan, is putting the finishing touches on an 11-year, $350 million deal, which is incredible. Machado is now 30. Now, he's coming off a great year. He's coming off one of the best years he's ever had. But a 30-year-old guy who's going to get an 11-year deal and worth 350 mil, which is incredible. And again, they might not even be done. <laughs> There's some small speculation that they're monitoring Shohei's status and pondering whether or not they could make a run at him too when it comes time. I mean, never mind that they're about to give Machado the fourth largest contract ever. Remember in 2019 when he was a free agent? He was not getting a lot of love. He wasn't. Then he gets to San Diego, and he starts to do, frankly, Manny Machado things. We're talking about a guy that can hit for average, a guy that can hit for power, a guy who's a gold glover, a guy who's got a big arm. You know, all of a sudden, he gets there. He's comfortable. They like him. He likes them. He puts up numbers. And now we're looking at another deal. And as I mentioned earlier, the Padres, the Padres, the Padres of all teams and markets have committed over one bill 
in contracts this offseason. And if I'm not mistaken, they still have to take care of Juan Soto. So a billion, with a B, alleged small market San Diego, little bro San Diego to the south, chipping off a cool bill this offseason. Allegedly, little market San Diego, who was never supposed to be able to compete with the big dogs. Come to find out, is one of the big dogs. They've got the third largest payroll in the sport now. And not only are they a big dog, they're a big dog lifting their leg and taking a leak on every other dog in the sport. It's incredible. I got my break in San Diego in 1990. So I've been tracking this for a long, long, long time. Tony Gwynn would come on the show back in the day. The pods all would. Ken Caminetti, my guy. I mean, I've been tracking this a long, long time. I never thought that I would live to see the day that the Padres of all teams could make this type of commitment. I mean, it's jaw-dropping. Never mind building a bully. Never mind building and becoming a super team. They already are one. Find me another team that's got the firepower or that's a fearsome, as fearsome to match, a foursome of Machado, Tatis, Soto, and Bogarts. Oh, wait. Find me another team with those four. You can't. So not only are they a bully, they might be the team to beat in the NL West over the Dodgers. Yeah, Dodger Jim just said that. Maybe, maybe, and if they're the team to beat, I'm saying if, but you can make an argument now. If they're the team to beat in the NL West, that sure as hell might make them the team to beat overall. And if they were to do that, if they were to finish, that would snap their 54-year championship-less streak. I'm telling you. Let me tell you something. You know what that would represent? You know what that means? If they were to win it all, the Padres, a franchise that has never won it all. Let me tell you what that means. You know what that is? That's what's in. That's what's in. They need to deport those dopes. Extradite those dopes anywhere but out of San Diego. Like, I have no idea where all that money's coming from. That's what everybody wants to know. Like, where are they getting all this money? Where's the jack coming from? I don't know, and I don't care. That's not my problem. It's not my money. I don't want you to tell me how to spend my money. I'm not going to tell them how to spend their money. Because, as I always say, and this is a fact, not every owner in professional sports wants to win at all. Fact. I know that sounds really counterintuitive. Like, well, Rome, why would they be in it if they weren't in it to win it? Because they're in it to make money. Not all of them want to win it all. You know why? Winning it all is really expensive. Not everybody treats it like that. Some are treating it like a business. They've got widgets that they're selling. So keep that in mind. That's what's also in. That's what's in. Yeah, but nobody could ever accuse the Padres of not wanting to win at all. Not anymore. 
In fact, you look at these dudes to the south of where I'm sitting right now, I'm not sure there's anybody in that sport that wants to win it worse than the Padres. Fact. They may, in fact, be the ones to beat right now. Yeah, I said that. You know why? Because that's what's in. One bill? A bill in the offseason. And they may not be done. Like Machado was gone. He was gone a few days ago. And now he's locked for 11 years, allegedly. And he had a hell of a year. He was second in the MVP voting. Fernando Tatis went down, and he led them to the NLCS. And they beat the Dodgers. And they beat the Mets. And Tatis is coming back. And Bob Melvin said last week on the show that he looks great. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Let me talk about that, quote, fight between Jake Paul and Tommy Fury. Say what you will about that spectacle, and I know there's a lot of bad things to say about it, but the one thing positive that you can take from that is it did create a bleep ton of content. Good boxing? Eh, Let's not get into that. Uh, Let's not get into that yet. But lots of content. Weird content. Good content. And most of all, good stuff from some dude named Radio Rahim. Now, some of you felt like he was the biggest loser of all that night. That Radio Rahim lost that night. A lot of you think so. He took quite a bit on social. I don't feel that way. Not me. Not at all. Because while both Jake and Tommy spent much of their time clinching and losing points because of it inside of the ring, there was nobody quick enough to get a hold of Double R and his microphone outside of the ring. Because my man was doing work, yo. He was doing work. And please forgive me, YouTube bros, I'm not exactly familiar with a lot of the characters that are as a part of that promotion, even including, frankly, Radio Rahim. At least I wasn't until now. But right now, I'm all about this dude. Right now, I've got respect for this dude. Right now, I can't get enough of this dude. Right now, I love this dude. As much as he evidently loves Jake's bro, Logan. How do I know? He said as much. No joke. He professed his love for that dude in fight. Check out this incredible in-fight exchange between Logan and Radio Rahim. This was going on during the fight. I said, Jake, I love you. I'm not going to give you a big speech. I know you got this, but either come back victorious or come back on your shield. I love you, bro. I love you too, man. How do you feel like he's doing so far in the fight? Incredible. I mean, it's pretty clear what he said. I mean, he must have led into that with, what did you tell your bro? He said, I didn't have a lot to tell him. Just, if you're going to go out, go out on your shield. I love you, bro. To which Radio Rahim said, because he thought it was directed at him, I love you too, man. I love you too, man. How do you feel like he's doing so far in the fight? Incredible. And move right on. Yeah, man, I love you too, man. Yeah, but dude, he was talking about he had love for his brother, not you. I love you too, man. I mean, I need that one more time in its entirety. 
I said, Jake, I love you. I'm not going to give you a big speech. I know you got this, but either come back victorious or come back on your shield. I love you, bro. I love you too, man. How do you feel like he's doing so far in the fight? Incredible. So, of course, everybody is coming for this dude because he misread what happened. He misinterpreted what Logan meant. He thought Logan was directing his love at double R and not his brother. And everybody rushed in to kill this guy. But I'm here to tell you that'll happen. I'm here to tell you why I'm not here to hate. I have certainly made my share of mistakes on live TV. Certainly more, way more damaging than that. And as for what he did or said there, that was probably better. Follow this. That exchange right there was probably better than anything that happened in the ring. Let's face it. You know what we're talking about here? And I'm not even here to hate it. Again, I feel like I'm in the minority. What we're talking about here is more content than actual sport. And that right there was great content. We're talking more about event and spectacle and show than actual sport. We're talking content and show and not so much sport. And that right there was one of my favorite parts of that show. You know when you talk to your friends about a show? You go, oh, you know what's great about it? Remember, remember when? Remember when the guy interviewing the brother of the guy and the brother of the guy said, I told my brother, I love you. And the guy interviewing him said, I love you too, man. I love you, bro. That was one of the best parts of the show. So get off this dude. If you threw down 50 bones for that, quote, fight, it was aight at best. I think I'm being, you know, pretty gratuitous in saying so. But I need more of a return on my investment for that fight than just the fight itself. Because the fight itself did not really justify the 50 bones. So instead of killing R2, you should be thanking this guy. I say it freaking every single day on this show. I've already said it today. Can you make it better? And he did by professing his love for Logan when Logan was professing his love for Jake. I love you, bro. I love you too, man. How do you feel like It's awesome. And you never want to make the ref, or you never want the ref to make it about them. And the ref did. And you never want the announcers to make it about them. And Double R did. But in this case, I'm glad he did. Because he wasn't done yet. There was more. In fact, he was just getting started. And he knew when he stepped between the ropes to interview the fighters after their, quote, content, my man was going to get nice. My man was going to get nice. He does what any great interviewer does. He went next level, and he created more highlights than either of the alleged fighters had all night long. Oh, and by the way, Jake lost. He lost for the first time in his, quote, content career. Tommy Fury won the fight. And no joke, Raheem had the greatest opening question. My my man won the night in so many different ways. He had the greatest opening question for a winning fighter, UFC cat, or any combat athlete I think I've ever heard. Bar bleeping none. Check out what he said to the victor after he won the fight. Radio Raheem here with Tommy Fury. You have every right to shed these tears of victory, of glory, of joy. You've done something for your family. You've done something for your name. You 
one more than a contender. You are a warrior. Talk to me about the feelings pumping through your heart at this very moment. First of all, I love the way he ID'd himself before asking the greatest question ever. Radio Raheem here. Radio Raheem here with Tommy Fury. And it just kind of rolls, doesn't it, off the tongue. Radio Raheem here. And then that question. That question to a dude who just beat a guy who has never beaten a real boxer. I mean, we all know about the combined records of the guys that he had beaten. Yet that was still the toughest fight that Jake Paul ever had, and he beat him. And how's he set it up? You know, not, like he had just beaten Mike Tyson in his prime. Tears of victory, of joy. You've done something for your, your name, your family. Never mind that his family boasted a great heavyweight. It's incredible. Again, he beat Jake Paul, not Mike Tyson. Alvin, can I have that one more time? Keep this in mind. This is what he said to a guy who just beat a YouTuber. Radio Raheem here with Tommy Fury. You have every right to shed these tears of victory, of glory, of joy. You've done something for your family. You've done something for your name. You are more than a contender. You are a warrior. Talk to me about the feelings pumping through your heart at this very moment. Incredible. Man, that is some amazing content. That is some legendary bleep right there. I mean, two guys that I have immense respect for in the way they handle themselves in the ring. Post-fight, Jim Gray, Larry Merchant. Two tough-minded guys who ask tough, tough questions. Tell you what, they needed the help of some incredible boxing personalities to make their magic, right? Not Radio Raheem. And I said legendary bleep. Because then he did it again. He went legend when it was time to interview Jake Paul, who is no longer undefeated. Double R went with a straight F-bomb. When he got a hold of Jake, while acting like he was interviewing Arturo Gotti or Mickey Bleeping Ward or something. But fighting the way you did, that makes you a true fighter, a true champion in your heart and soul. We saw you give everything tonight. You are a boxer. You are a man. Talk to me about this. Wow! An effing warrior. You are a boxer. You are a man. A true fighter. A true champion. Incredible. Fighting the way you did, that makes you a true fighter, a true champion in your heart and soul. We saw you give everything tonight. You are Raheem, my man. You, you made it better. So while I'm enjoying it all, most of you are coming from my guy online. Don't. Don't. Because without him, what are we left with? Just that, quote, fight. For real. The fight had all the right elements leading up to it. There was drama. There was anticipation. There was beef. There was energy. But in the end, you know who delivered? Not Fury, not Paul, either Paul. Radio Raheem was the big winner. They should have wrapped the belt around that guy's waist. I'm telling you, man, don't hate on this guy. Look, because of the extreme hatred of Jake Paul, that was seemingly the best day of some of your lives. But as always, that says way more about you than it does him. I'm not going to tell you how to feel about this dude. Hate him all you want. Just know this, I don't. I see the guy for what he is, not a boxer, although his boxing skills are not horrible, and he's worked at it, and he does care. I see this dude not as a boxer or a pro athlete, but as a businessman and content creator 
And if you look at it from that aspect, the guy's actually pretty brilliant. If you think he's actually the biggest douchebag ever, I'm not going to talk you off that point. But I'm going to say that love this dude or hate this dude, he's really good at getting you to look at this dude and making paper. Question is, where does Jake Paul go after this? I have no idea. As for Fury, good for him. Even if he was acting like he was Buster Douglas and he beat Mike Tyson as a 42-1 to dog and pulled off the biggest upset in the history of actual boxing. But the fact of the matter is, it really isn't about either one of them. It's about the legend that is Radio Raheem. That was his coming out party. There's your champ. true fighter, a true champion. V in the fee. V, what's going on? Do you hear that, Shaquille O'Neal? No, that's not the sound of Jack Savage before he snapped somebody's neck. Or Rit on the toilet. Or Albie when he thought about bringing back the ladies' line. No, that's the sound of my Lakers breathing down the neck of the rest of the Western Conference because we come for that sixth seed and run the table in the playoffs. Oh, my goodness, there's hope back in Lakerland. Finally, I cannot believe there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I'm glad, I'm glad to say it. The late show is back, baby. And you know what, though? There's one person that we need to thank for this. He's taking a lot of heat. You know, he looks like a famous actor. Ah. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. V, mm-hmm. Not a v, very good call. v, did you drop your phone down the toilet and did you dive in after it? Let's go to James. Let us go to James in Portland. James, my man. What's going on? Hey, my man and Alby, brother. There may be a V in the fee, but you'll always be the P in the V. And not to start on a negative note, not to make light of a horrible situation going on with the Alabama basketball program, but I mean, come on. Who in their right mind thinks a pregame pat-down is a good idea? Oh, wait, the entire athletic department of Alabama. And I love the response by the head coach. He might as well just come out and said, dude scores 30 a game and isn't going anywhere. Keep it classy, Bama. Now, on a positive note, how about the main man, Damian Lillard? Dude makes a 60-foot three look like a lay-in, not to mention just pure class on and off the court. And don't fall out of your seat, Jimmy, a role model for my son. Not only are NBA players jealous of Dame's game on the court, but they're more jealous of Dame Dalla's ability to spit rhymes on the mic. Dude can flat-out rhyme. And I'm not sure if you saw how they recreated the Wilt Chamberlain picture with Dame holding up a sign with the number 71 on it. For fun, Jimmy... Can you add Alvius sign with the number 71 on it? That way all of, it can, all of us in the jungle can guess if it means something like how many kids he has or how many times he performed coitus over the weekend. And finally, Jim, to wrap this baby up, did you say there was a ladies' line for female callers back in the day? Well, Alvi has a ladies' line today, and it's just women standing in line waiting to hop on the Deloro Thunder Stick. Come on! That's not a good call. No. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. <sighs> James, my man. Not okay. 
James, my man, you kind of hooked me with the straight take. This, no, no, you kind of hooked me with the serious take, then the straight take, but I knew ultimately you'd get to Alvin and how many times you could speculate that he had coitus this weekend. I thought that could have been the come on. But then I knew you had something better in you and you delivered. You did not disappoint. Good night now.